Hello everyone and welcome back to the Meteor Magazine podcast, the first of this type. Will it get thousands of listeners? Without a doubt. I'm optimistic. Today, I am joined by all the editors, actually. I'm Editor-in-Chief George White and I'm joined by Chris. Hello there. Our gaming co-editor, magazine designer, just just all-round guy. Uh, joined by Nathan, Hello. gaming co-editor, TV editor. And joined by Nat, debut on the podcast, our book editor. Hello, Nat. Hi. Yeah, I think uh, it's easy to recognise who I am. The sole woman voice. <laughs> yes, the only the only yeah. one that's not just, you know, monotone and, and deep voiced, yeah. So, yeah, the one else I mean, sounds like she's full of life. Yeah, the, the one full of optimism and joy. Yeah. That is not me. Anyway, today we're going to kind of run through the magazine which came out over the weekend, and we're going to use it as inspiration to talk about a variety of things. We're not just going to sit through and read word for word through the magazine, but we will use some of the topics to kind of guide where we go with the podcast. And I think a nice place to start would probably be most underrated TV show. So we have an article in there that talks about the fringe and how it's kind of overlooked. Um, and I think probably all of us have a TV show that we've seen that we want others to watch and for some reason they just don't. Anyone got any uh, ideas of what they think people should be checking out? I've I've gone with uh, Hustle, the BBC TV drama about con men, which is incredible and nobody in the world has ever seen, as far as I'm aware. Because whenever I mention it, everybody just gives me like this blank stare, like they've never watched it. Which I imagine is what I'm getting in this chat. Yeah, I'm blankly staring at my <laughs> screen right now. Yeah, at this Skype call with no video, I'm staring at. Yeah, I'm still making my point. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, so to to explain, they are a group of um, con men and women who take on because they're they're the good guys, so they take on only like bad people with like um, traditionally long cons. So you don't see the like short like your Nick stuff. It's the right. We're going to sell you Windsor Castle, and this is how we're going to do it. And they manage to like convince people of all sorts of random crap, and then it's all the big prestige moment at the end where they reveal how they did it and how they got away with it. And they're like con police, like corrupt police officers. They deal with like bent millionaires, people who abuse their staff, all sorts of stuff like that. It's just it's just a lot of fun, and the acting is like quite on point, and it's quite funny as well. It takes a really weird mid season, like um, mid set of the series dip. Because basically the mean the main guy played by Adrian Lester just disappears for a series. I don't quite know why. I think something happened with his contract or something. And they try and like carry on without him and it just doesn't work at all. And then the show nearly got cancelled and then they brought him back and it like gave it a new lease of life. And it ran for eight series on BBC, like primetime BBC, uh, in the like mid two thousands, mid two thousands to like two thousand twelve kind of time, I think. I just really enjoy it. And it's the show that leapt out at me when I was looking at my DVD collection when you asked me that question. So that is the show I'm going for. Because there's not enough stories about con men, basically. See, that's quite okay, interesting. So how does uh, it compare to, like, Money Heist? Is it a very different premise? It's, like, so it's hour long. I haven't seen Money Heist, but basically from what I can, like, summarise from that, it's like, this is, like, hour long things, each individual stories but the same six con, con artists, like, the whole time. That's no, so it's episodic. Yeah, it's proper episodic. There's a really good one where they're, they're bored because they haven't got a mark, and they drop the two, like, best ones who are, like, constantly competing to be the best con man, and they drop them naked in the middle of London and see who can make the most money in a day, and it's just funny. Just dumb shit like that happens, and it's great. That's quite interesting because... Uh... My choice is Sneaky Pete, which is also a kind of heist uh, con man show. It's on Amazon, and it stars Giovanni Ribisi in the lead role. And um, it goes for three series. It, it was kind of cancelled last last year, and you can understand why, because the third series was, was not great. But it's a really interesting one. It was exec produced by Brian Cranston, and he's, um, oh. he's the bad guy in the first series. Ooh. And... Yeah, he's so good um, in that f- the first time around. Second, second season is still really good, but you miss his presence. 
um, not to spoil anything. But he didn't return for that one. But yeah, you, you basically got Giovanni Ubisi just just being an awful human being, but also kind of not at times. You, you see why he does the things that he does, and you see him kind of grow emotionally to um, basically become a bit more open to this family. He The basic premise is he takes the identity of his cellmate in prison when he leaves um, and joins their family and starts doing these cons. And in the end, he starts to help them out. And it's just, it's, an, it's a nice show. It's, it's intense, definitely, a lot of the time. Um, but there are also really good relationships between the characters, which keeps things interesting. Some of them you don't care about at all. And in fact, a lot of the characters, you know, if they were killed off, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shedding a tear, personally. But the main story for the first two scenes is really good. Um, and if people watch it and they don't go on to the third one, that's fine, because won't miss much sadly what, what about you now what's your choice um okay i mean i can't i can't have a very smooth transition like you guys because i don't oh, think it's great. related got, we had a thing going where's your host <laughs> i'm sorry so, uh, it, mine's, mine's nothing like it if that makes you feel any better i don't well, know i have a well, few i have a few i have a few choices um I don't know if you guys if you have heard of this. It's called The Fall. Um, it has Gillian Anderson and uh, Jamie Dorn, and it's kind of like Killing Eve, but like Killing Eve before it was Killing Eve. So like, um, basically, like Jamie Dornan plays like a serial killer, right? Um, you know, and then he's but he has like you know I mean just like how serial killers are, right? They have like completely kind of normal life. So he's a normal life. He's a, like a wife and kids. Um, you know, but then he's like nighttime, you know, activities involved, you know, being he's a serial killer, right? Um, and Julian Anderson plays the detective that is um, trying to catch him. Yeah, so they have this like whole cat and mouse thing kind of going on, just like kind, you know, so like, that's why I say it's like Killing Eve before uh, Killing Eve. Uh, there's only three seasons, so it's, uh, I mean, it was meant to end in season three. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think when you guys think of Jamie Dornan, you think Fifty Shades of Grey, unfortunately, right? Um, yes, but yeah, I, I mean, uh, I think I think he, he before before that travesty, you know, there was the fall, right? And he's really good in it. And Julian Anderson is, of course, amazing. Um, yeah, so that's one. How many do I get? Do I get one or two or five? Well, I'm going to let you have three. Three max. I'm going to have to cut you off at three. <laughs> what basis to be? Wait, got let's hear from Nathan first before I and see if you have okay. all my options. Yeah. Go on then, Nay. Lay down the big guns. The big guns. Uh, I'll stop between two, but I decided to go with the weirdest one because that's just who I am as a person. Sounds right. Yeah. Uh, mine's a preacher, also on Amazon. Oh uh, yeah, that does look like the single weirdest show of all time. Yeah, Wait. it's just it's um... underrated. What say? Sorry. It's not underrated, isn't it? Underrated. It's not underrated, right? Not... I, I, just, I feel like no one's watched it. Like I, I think I'm the only person that I know that's actually sat through it. Oh, that's true. Okay. So I don't know. Okay. Books. <laughs> I'm sorry, Nat, Nat doesn't approve, so I'm just going to go back to drawing board. <laughs> yeah. Just leave the chat. Just leave, yeah, okay. You don't need me anymore. <laughs> but but no, it's... um. I don't know if any, any of you watched uh, Umbrella Academy, but it kind of reminds me of that. Um, Just in, like, it's got this really weird sort of, like... It, it just kicks off with, like, a really weird concept. So he's basically, like, an ex-criminal outlaw-type guy. He, uh, he goes back to his... Uh, the church that his father used to run in, I can't remember, the, I think, I can't remember what the town's called. But yeah, he, he goes back to his father's church and basically tries to become a preacher. Um, but then he gets kind of given these, like the powers of Genesis, where he can basically, whatever he says to somebody, they'll do it. And it kind of just sort of goes from there. But it's got this really cool, like, um, like black comedy running through it, because Seth Rogen's heavily involved in it, like behind the scenes. Um... And uh, what the main sort of like antagonist is uh, Pip Torrens. I don't know if you know who Pip Torrens is. Big bald guy. 
No. Anybody? No. I can only think of Phil Mitchell, I'm afraid. <laughs> okay. I can think about as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, he, he plays this... Um, it's, really, it's really quite complicated trying to explain this out loud. But he basically runs this... Um, this organization and they're trying to find sort of the next uh the next jesus like the next sort of prophet <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah he like so he basically selects the preacher against his will to uh to become the next prophet and it kind of spirals from there and just for me saying like i can imagine how sort of weird it gets um but it's like i strongly recommend it and like i said i feel like i'm the only person that's ever watched it so I'm gonna stop talking about it now because I can, I can, I can't even see you, and I know that your eyes are glazing over. No, I was just, uh, I was just gonna say, why didn't you say Pip Torrens was BBC producer in Darkest Hour? Or would have just known from that. But no, I mean, <laughs> I do love Dominic Cooper, and that was, he was yeah. a big selling point for me um, about potentially watching it. And then I watched the trailer, and I thought, this is too weird for me. I'm out. <laughs> There's like some yeah. some dog with a bum hole mouth, or that was two different people. Uh, yeah, that's that's a guy. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's like I think the main reason that I like it is because it kind of it takes things that other shows kind of hint at and kind of goes like all in on them. So um, my girlfriend dragged me through like twelve seasons of Supernatural, and um, uh. in that, yeah, and in, in that you kind of like you're constantly sort of seeing like angels and demons, whatever from hell, but you never actually see where they're from or anything like that. Like you never see the behind the scenes stuff, but preacher within literally like two episodes, it takes you into hell and shows you what hell looks like. And it's like, it's, it's quite to say it's, I must say low budget, but like it's not got the budget behind like game of Thrones or something's got it like, it's got quite like a high production value. Okay. So I see the selling point is that it shows you what hell looks like. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much all you need to know about me. No. <laughs> yeah, but it's just nice, to, like, because it, it, I don't know, it's just like it, it feels quite unique, like the whole tone of it, and like it, it, it doesn't feel like anything else that's that's on TV. Like I say Umbre- Umbrella Academy, I think takes quite a lot of cues from it, especially with like the humor and the just general like quirkiness of it. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I would agree with you. It's on my to watch list. Yeah, for be, mainly because of Dominic Cooper. But, yeah, he's but, he's very he's very good in it. He's very very yeah. good. Would you like to add any honourable mentions, Nat, before we move on? And with an E. And with good? an E. Uh, yeah. Is that our uh, our video guy Joe, good friend of the good friend of the magazine. He is basically like the king of that fandom. He's like leading the charge to uncancel it. So shout out to Joe. Yeah, I mean, yes, yes. I think I saw it. I think he posted it on on Twitter. I think I saw his video. Um, but he's absolutely right. Um, you know, if anything should get a fall season, it should be it should be that show. You know, it's so good. It's so good. Like I think in a in a society that you know, um, that we're kind of moving towards, right? Like you know, where people can kind of be a bit self-consumed um you know and then we have shows like riverdale you know where teenagers are you know doing trashy things and you know ruining musicals and then there's like you know there's n with an e right and you know they discuss um you know things like discrimination uh you know race um you know social class family right you know, feminine identity, and it, it it it's done you know so well, adapted so well, right? I mean, you know, the 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 writer was writing from a different time, right? But they've managed to update it, you know, and make it so relevant and so contemporary, you know, despite the setting. Um, yeah, and I I think we just need more shows that you know, kind of, um, I don't know, for the for the young people. I guess I mean, you guys are young people. <laughs> I'm I'm the old one, <laughs> so like I don't know, but. Um, I watched it with my brother, right? Um, you know, and he and I've read the books, so I was coming in with you know some knowledge of of the world and everything. And he he watched it, and he's and I mean it's a generally sometimes they say you know that this this is more of a you know a girls show or a woman show, you know. But it's a guy, and I mean and you know the fact that Joseph also um, enjoys it, I think uh, there's there's lots there, yeah. You know, and it's quite disappointing that they cancelled it. 
But I mean, yeah, I don't think they're going to reverse the decision. But maybe Joe <laughs> Joe's video can can do some work. I don't know. Yeah, but it's a oh, it's a very good yeah. it's a very good show. Yeah, it's on Netflix also. So yeah, so if, it, I, if anyone could do it, it's Trophy Muncher Joe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, champion. Okay, so we will move on, and um, I think you know we've done TV. Let's stay on the screen with films. And I interviewed the guys behind Philophobia or The Fear of Falling in Love, uh, which is a really cool little indie movie kind of genre blending between action, comedy, romance, horror. And um, I really liked it. And it got me thinking about indie films. And I just wanted to know really what your favorite indie movies were. and I know that Nathan has done a Google search, so he knows what an indie movie is now. So, um, <laughs> why, would you, why would you out me like that? But, <laughs> um, well, yeah, I, I guess we'll start with you, Nathan, uh, as a result of that. Well, so, yeah, because like, it turns out a lot of films I didn't realise were indie films are indie films. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pump for Reservoir Dogs, which I spoke about quite a lot on various different podcasts. I know that George absolutely hates this film. I wouldn't say absolutely hates. I'd say despises. Okay, that's yeah. That's not good too far. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so wow, got a big win there for Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> uh, but no, let's say I spoke about it a lot, so I won't like draw on it for too long. But yeah, I think um, it's my personal favourite just because it's as someone who's a massive Tarantino fan, you can kind of see all the all the like the trademarks of a Tarantino film kind of like coming to life in that one. Um, because I'd probably argue that Pulp Fiction is his best film, but I think this is like, it's almost like Pulp Fiction light, where it's kind of, it's one, it's like one narrative kind of chopped up into different sort of sections and kind of moved around. It's still got that same sort of, again, like dark comedy. I just like dark comedy, apparently. Um, But I think, yeah, from Reservoir Dogs to Pulp Fiction, it basically takes, it takes that idea and just expands on it and makes, in my opinion, the perfect film. Perfect film. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction's a perfect film. This is like uh, this is this is like a nine point five and Pulp Fiction's a ten to me. That's a pretty high ratings. That's yeah. what whereas you'd give it probably a solid four. Uh yeah. I think that's pretty okay. much fine. Okay. Yeah. Because you because you despise not hate it. Yeah, exactly. If I absolutely hated it, it'd be lower than that. Yeah. No, no, yeah. That's that, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Yeah, no, it's interesting with that because I think especially, uh, obviously, that came out in 92? 92, yeah. Something like that. Um, something like that, yeah. And Quentin Tarantino, relatively well-known director at this point. It's it's easy to forget that, you know, they had to start somewhere. And uh, I think with the film and how, at the time, anyway, extreme it was, I think it kind of yeah. had to be in it, we didn't really, uh, looking back. Yeah, I think um, I think as well because obviously this film at the time wasn't really massively like well loved. It was only after it was, it was more of it like an in hindsight thing where like, after Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill, and everything, people sort of went back it and went, oh, like you know, like, the seeds were already there. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't find them, but I'm sure they were there somewhere. Wow. Um, <laughs> what What about you, Chris? Are you an indie film man? Uh, not, but apparently Goodwill Hunting is an indie indie film, which you son of a <laughs> might have stole mine. You might have stole mine. Well, I, I was just, I'm just, I'm not actually picking that one, just so as you know. But I do love that film, but I, I refuse to pick it really because it's got like a ridiculous amount of Academy Awards. And stuff. Okay, so you're going to stand up for the little guy. Who is the little guy? I'm not going to pick it on that basis. But I am going to pick a bit of a curveball. So it's a British rom-com. It's starring Nick Frost with Chris O'Dowd and Rashida Jones. I'm just trying to get information here. Stellar cast, right? Budget, a million pounds. Produced by Bill 4 and stuff. 98 minutes long. I'm running out of things to tell you before I reveal that it is... A film about dancing. It's Cuban Fury, 
and I enjoyed it as well because it is trash and I love it. The fact the fact that Nick Frost has to convincingly play a salsa dancer is the funniest thing I think I've ever seen in my entire life. And Simon Pegg gets a little, a very little cameo where because it's the first film, Nick, big, well, big-ish film that Nick Frost did without him. And he's like having a dance off with Chris O'Dowd in a car park, and Simon Pegg drives past, looking at him like, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> and it's just amazing. Oh, even Ian McShane manages to somehow get in this nonsense. <laughs> the king of rocking up where you least expect. <laughs> I know he he claims to be um, Nick Frost's old salsa teacher. <laughs> I just love it. It's such a good film because it's like it's it's one of those. It's like so just off the wall stupid like the whole premise is about he's trying to fall in love with Rashida Jones and Olivia Coleman's in it as well as his sister and um, him and Olivia Coleman end up like having to compete in this dance competition to try and win Rashida Jones's heart somehow it's very weird but it's very good I'd recommend it can I just chime in here and say uh, so independent films I've just googled it there's Peanut Butter Falcon Ex Machina, Imitation Game, <laughs> Get Out, 12 Years a Slave, Dallas Buyers Club, and you went for Cuban Fury starring Nick Frost. I, I, refu- I refuse to go for the ones that are quite successful, purely because like, they transcend indie films. To me, an indie film is something that you say to somebody, and, and then they go, wait, what? Like, you know that Simon Pegg one where there's the talking dog played by Robbie, Robin Williams? And he's like just magic and stuff because he's got the ability to do whatever the hell he wants. Like, the fact that my dad suggested that film to me the other day, I'm like, that that sounds like an indie film because like no one's ever heard of it. I refuse to accept good goodwill hunting and stuff like that, even though they class as it an ex machina because these are all amazing films and they're all brilliant and everyone talks about them enough. No one talks about Cuban Fury enough. Nick Frost needs some love. That's that's all I'm gonna say. Uh, I think Cuban Fury has spoken about just the right amount, to be honest. <laughs> some, might say, some might say Chris kind of pushed it over the edge. Yeah, I, th- I think just that, that little five-minute thing you just did there might have been a bit too much. But anyway, we uh, <laughs> we welcome your contribution. And thank you for being here. <laughs> and, uh, uh, th- thank you, but this will be your last day working for me. Or... Yeah, we appreciate <laughs> the work that you've done. Uh, yeah. But take take your final paycheck. That's it. Zero pounds, zero pence, and get out. <laughs> Support us on Patreon. Yeah. Support us on you're... Patreon. Support us on Patreon to give Chris a decent severance package. <laughs> you never have to hear about Fury again. That's worth subscribing for. For just two pounds a month, you can stop the world from hearing about Cuban Fury. <laughs> You can join oh the hashtag Silence Chris campaign. <laughs> I'm going to do it on every podcast you invite me on from now on. Even, uh, the game, even, even the gaming one. Just... Yeah. Rhythm it's Action Game. Would make a <laughs> perfect Rhythm Action Game. Oh, Nat, please. <laughs> please save us, Nat. What, what is yours? If you say Cuban Fury too, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, I think I was just like, oh, okay. You've I been thought you guys still want the Cuban Fury. Okay. Uh, well, mine first. Um, I'm gonna choose before sunrise. Uh, see, this is this is an interesting one because you obviously told me about this trilogy and I love it, and I was gonna have one of the three um, on there. Yeah, not the same one, which is interesting. Which one? No, I I won the second one. <laughs> yeah, before sunset. That's what I was going to go for. Yeah, it's the best it's one. It's the best. It's the best. And um, it's like an hour and eighteen minutes, which for me is a dream. Give yeah. me those short films. It's it's interesting because uh, I think this this guy I used to date like absolutely hates it. Um. I don't know why I said that. Irrelevant info. But um, how did I stumble upon it? I I kind of, uh, I think this was during my university days, so a while back. Um, And it was like one of those YouTube kind of movies, you know, like people kind of just upload it on YouTube. Uh, And, you know, I was like, oh, it looks interesting. And I kind of just watched it um, mainly for Ethan Hawke because I knew him. Uh, yeah, and I thought, I thought how, um, 
I think it's the dream, isn't it? Because the whole idea that you know you kind of travel, you go, you go on like a, a trip, right? I mean, I you guys are you guys are in the UK, so you don't understand this. I don't think maybe you don't get this, but like I think for like a a girl like living in an Asian country, right? It's the kind of the dream to go to Europe, you know, and uh, and when you're traveling there, you kind of fall in love, you know. Um, maybe not in the UK, <laughs> maybe in Italy. I don't know, but um, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you don't you don't normally go to to where we're living for a nice romantic uh, meet cute. I must admit, it's nice mm. things around here. You know, it's not it's, it's not nice. quite curry nice. at times. It's nice. It, I mean, yeah, I think you. I think you go to like the UK. I mean, or Scotland in particular. I think to get lost, like you know, it's just so. I mean, yeah, because Singapore is like such a city space, and then you go to like you know. Um, these areas, um, and then okay. Anyway, I'm trailing off. So anyway, yeah, so that that was the the whole idea, right? So it's like wow, you know, they kind of meet um, in this foreign country, and then they they share, um, you know, lovely conversation, right? And I think the interesting thing is that how the two actors have like you know they kind of came in to kind of construct um, the script, you know, along with um, Ling later, right? Uh, yeah, so I mean, it's scripted, but also not really. So it, it adds a very kind of authentic and natural kind of vibe to their conversations, you know. And it doesn't, it, it's not boring at all, right? I mean, we're just watching, like, the whole time is just watching, like, two people just fall in love, you know, and just talk. And then, I mean, and, that, and then that's it, uh, you know. So, and I um, mean, like George said, it's a trilogy. So you get, like, three parts to it. Um, when you know when they were like when they met like when they were younger and they were doing the whole you know Europe trip thing, and then um, ten years later he would he writes like a book to come back uh, so that he can kind of find her in some way, like it's a way for him to find her, uh, and then they reunite in the second one and then the third one which George hasn't watched it right you haven't watched the last one. No, I have. I have. I had to. You watched it, was it? Like the day after before sunset. Yeah, I uh, yeah. finished my shift and went straight home and watched it. And I tell you what, that one's the toughest one to watch. I won't say that. Yeah, but, uh, still amazing. Yeah. So um, and it's it, it's interesting because I watched it like um at kind of the like the same age like when I was like young and I watched you know the before sunrise and then you know like um so I kind of followed along in terms of like age and experience because it's all real time right so you know they actually wait like you know the appropriate number of years right um and i mean he's he's quite famous for that right like boyhood is based on the same premise of you know time moving forward in a real way right so so i yeah so i kind of grew up with the trilogy and i think it just made it all the more um impactful yeah so that would be my choice and you know i mean the fact that george likes it i think adds a point so i you know i get a point extra point yeah so you know nathan's on minus 10 for reservoir dogs <laughs> chris is disqualified for cuban fury um so yeah i think you might is be clear why chris's mic is off because <laughs> he's he talked about cuban fury i see that his mic I, is muted i'm not gonna lie i, I feel like his mic's muted because he's probably eating let's be honest custard creams combination custard creams yeah, well, like, not, not to like break the illusion or anything, but I, I happen to know that Chris was on Twitter at some point. So I saw him like something that I put on yesterday. Yeah, same, same. <laughs> uh, so you know, with this podcast, you get full attention from yeah. the editors, hundred and ten percent every time. Maximum effort, Deadpool style. Deadpool style. So yeah, for for me, um, since everyone stole mine, I mean, Reservoir Dogs was top of the list, obviously. Uh, obviously, so not that. Chris basically told me I'm a fraud if I choose Goodwill Hunting, so that's gone. I just uh, told you before, before Sunset was my choice, that's gone. So I'm going to give a shout out to Peanut Butter Falcon. Nathan mentioned it earlier, I believe. Um, I'm going to choose that. Yeah, just because it's such a wholesome film. Like, there's just, you can't not like it. I feel like it's, it's great for representation, obviously, with um, uh, Zach Got Sagan. He's, he's so good, so likable. Um, incredibly funny and Shia LaBeouf is just great in it he's such a charming guy the kind of relationship between him and Zach is is delightful really um, it leads the film 
and Takura Johnson as well is is really good, which is quite a surprise for me because you know it's that Fifty Shades of Grey effect again. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, yeah, she's she's really good, and it's just yeah, it's such a wholesome, positive film, really funny. It's got some good kind of dramatic moments in there as well, some really good emotion. And it's just, it's everything that you want from an indie film, really. You know, there's there's a purpose to it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just it's just a really positive film. So it's just been put on Netflix, and um, I added it to my list last night. I'm, I'm determined to watch it, because you've been banging on about it for quite a while. So Yeah, I think it is, it's a cute film. Um, and like I say, genuinely really funny. And Yeah, you should watch it. I mean, because George went on and on about it, I watched it as well. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So I think it's it's the it's the only way you can keep his friendship is if you watch this show. Okay. Okay. Why does mm. Well, will I watch it now this or is... not? That's the question. <laughs> is this his easy way out? <laughs> if I knew it was that easy. Okay. Um. So we're gonna finish off. We're gonna talk about kind of future of Bethesda, but I think. We'll, we'll kind of uh, dis- maybe discuss that at a different time because that's an interesting one to get into, but we could talk about it for hours. Um, yeah, that, was, that, was think, the, that was the one thing I had loads to say about. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if you and if you and Chris want to go at it, then feel free. Uh, to be fair, I'll happily tear Bethesda apart. Go for it. Go for it. You know what? We're agile on this podcast. We, uh, we have a structure and then we tear it down. So you know what? Yeah. You go for it. Okay. What? Where did Bethesda go from here after the incredible success of Fallout seventy six? <laughs> the incredible <laughs> success. Do, do you want to go first, or should I go first? <laughs> you, can go, you can go first. I feel like you need to tear some emotions out of your face. Well, it's just because I I was extremely hurt by Fallout seventy six because I'm a, I'm a massive <laughs> <laughs> I'm a massive Bethesda fan. I'm a massive Fallout fan. Um. But yeah, they, they need to up their game. And I think the only way that they can really go from here is they need to take a step away for a long time and just kind of reevaluate what it is that they do with their games. Because if you look at... Because obviously the game before Fallout 76 was Fallout 4. And as much as I do like that, it just got... The Witcher 3 came out and just completely showed all of its flaws. And I think like they're really, really falling behind now in sort of the open world RPG game so i think they need to go away sort of update their engine uh, just sort of re like reevaluate what it is that they want their games to be because even something like outer worlds where they like they literally took the like the bethesda formula and did it better than any bethesda game has been for years because if, if you think about it the, the last great bethesda game was skyrim and that was what, what 2010 2000, 2010 2011 like they've published some good games, like they've published like Doom and Dishonored, but as an actual developer, I don't think they've had like a proper hit since Skyrim. I've I've been saying this for years in the fact that like they are great at publishing, but when you trust them to make their own game, they're absolutely awful. Like Fallout Four is garbage. I I have a lot stronger opinions about that game. Than Disagreed. Me. I I loathe that game with a passion. Because it's just yes, no... I love it too. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the thing, the problem, the problem I've got with that game is like, so Fallout Three had quite a compelling main quest, and so did so did Oblivion. My issues with Bethesda start a bit earlier, I think, than everybody else's, because Skyrim's main quest is kind of boring, and the side quests are also Ooh. kind of boring. Um, and nothing really Listen. affects the world. Literally, literally right in Skyrim there's a civil war where you can pick sides and you pick a side and nothing changes um and it's just apart from like which dude sits in a chair like if I if I wanted that I'd I don't know I'd just buy some chairs and hire some people to sit in a chair you know what I mean I just I'd, I couldn't be bothered with it. it nothing grabbed me about that game and I've tried replaying it since and I just don't enjoy it so for me I think they need to they need to focus more on story because like Fallout 4 in particular it's like this big the whole the whole premise is that you've got to go find your son, right? I was more interested in finding Wonderglue in that game than finding my own child, which I think demonstrates how little I a cared about the child because they they just like took it away from you within the first five seconds, so you didn't have any bonding with it whatsoever. So like the main drive was just boring. 
the railroad people were the only like marginally interesting people that I liked. I liked the little dream sequence in the head thing. That was quite cool. But apart from that, it was just, it was just everybody was really boring. What, who were the annoying people that constantly kept asking you to defend settlements? The Minutemen. <sighs> the Minutemen. They are the worst. I hate the Minutemen so much. Yeah, they're. Oh, I'd, I'd honestly rather nuke them than the Institute. And uh, <laughs> I hate them. Spo- spoilers um, for that far. <laughs> I mean, have you not played it yet? But you, you are right in the fact that like RPGs have kind of because everybody's kind of picked up on them. I think when Skyrim came out, there weren't that many. Like, I think that was part of the thing that like Bethesda did what they did. They did it very well, but like they didn't have that much competition. Now you've got like The Witch Three's out. Assassin's Creed has basically become an open world RPG. Ghost of Tsushima is kind of an open world RPG. It's like I know it's you. you playing a story and you can't really affect it too much but like that game is just sick in terms of combat and stuff whereas now if you look at the bethesda games the combat is janky the stories are boring the open world graphics are not that great the it just every, everything is subpar and it it's i think i think they they suffer the problem that marvel suffer and i, I know you don't want me to say this Nathan, but the fact that like they've been too big for too long and now they're kind of like lost and don't really know what to do so i, I feel yeah, like yeah you're just... right they need to Attack everything you love. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, say you, you, this is a personal attack on me now. But like, um, I do think you're right in the fact that they need to take a step back and be like, right, okay, let's actually tell a story that's worth telling, rather than just be like, you want Skyrim on your fridge? That's fine. We'll do that. Because <laughs> uh, I think the the, the, the is the big one as well. Because obviously, yeah, for, for ages, is. it was kind of. It, it was that Bethesda charm, wasn't it? Where like, oh, it was glitchy. But they they were like funny glitches, so like you kind of let it slide. But then a game like The Witcher, Witcher comes out, which is like three or four times the size, runs really well and like looks beautiful. Like games like that have made Bethesda games really, really difficult to go back to. So I think if, if Elder Scrolls Six came out and it was more of the same, I don't see it doing anywhere near as well as those games. So the combat is so unsatisfying. Like it's just in, well, you... in both games, it's so unsatisfying. You don't feel impactful. Literally, Ghost of Tsushima, like every single hit feels amazing. Whereas in Bethesda, it's just swing. Swing, shield, swing. It's just so boring. It's okay in Fallout, because obviously it's the VAT system, which is actually quite cool. But yeah, in Skyrim, you're literally just swinging aimlessly and hoping that something lands. It's just... Yeah, it, but even in Fallout, the fact that you just, you know, you can just point and click. Yeah. Uh, it's where you shoot. That's boring as well. Whereas, yeah, like, like Chris says, games like Ghost of Tsushima show you what action in games can be like. God of War as well. Yeah, and it can be way more satisfying than Bethesda. I do agree in that regard. They have to step it up, I think, in terms of the gameplay. Because what what rescued them before was the story, but the story has been crap now. So it's just like, what am I actually playing apart from a medley of green and brown? Which is apparently all they can give me. And it just makes me sad. I do think long-term, though, it will be a good thing. Because, I was, like I say, when, when, when you, like, like I say, Bethesda literally owned RPGs in, like, the late 10s and early uh, ten. Oh my god! Late. Oh my like, god! What late noughties. Late, late noughties. Uh, tens. I got Sorry, you. I had a small stroke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like they, they they literally like open open world RPGs were like they owned it in that time. But now they've got a bit of competition, and like I'm hoping it'll push them to be better because Elder, Elder Scrolls Six cannot it, it cannot be on the same engine. Like it cannot be as janky, and the combat cannot be like that sort of simple. It has to be well, deeper than that. Thing. Is it? Is it called Starfield? The other one? Oh, uh, I mean the game that exists but will never ever come out. Yeah, that one. Yeah, I, oh, it would it be called? good to do that one before Elder Scrolls Six. To be honest, because there's, there's a lot. There's a lot right on Elder Scrolls for them. Yeah, like it, Elder Scrolls is almost doomed to fail because it's not going to live up to the Skyrim hype. If it's their next game, because obviously everybody's so disappointed with Fallout 76, it's almost like double pressure on it. Whereas if you like leave that, park that for a little bit, do the sci-fi in space one that we've never really seen. Literally, Outer Worlds has showed you how to do it, so it can't be that hard. And it and just do that. It's like and have fun with it, and actually make me some fun combat, please. So, all in all, the future of Bethesda looking bright. <laughs> Future as a publisher is sick because they've got like loads of good developers. But 
as as a development studio themselves, they're kind of not very. Yeah, the, the the next game will be like, I think that'll either save them or ruin them. Like, if the next game is good, I think they'll be okay. If the next game is bad, then they're in real trouble. I agree. Anyway, that brings us to our final point, which uh, I imagine that will have more to say. On, uh, to be honest with you, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, it's like the most. It's like math I can't solve. Like hearing that conversation, I, I understand nothing else. It's like what? <laughs> yes, but yes, um, I agree with everyone. That's, that's good. I like that. Very <laughs> diplomatic. Um, but yeah. W- when it comes to books, you know, we, we have an article in the magazine that talks about uh, autobiographies, biographies, um, and their kind of importance, how they're developed. And it kind of got me thinking about what's your guys' favourite thing to read? Are you fiction or non-fiction or a bit of both? What, what is it for you? And that will, we'll start with you, considering, you know, you've probably just woken up from a nap. It'll, uh, it'll wake <laughs> you up again. Um, Fastest nap in the world. Um... Okay. Uh, for me, I mean, because like, I'm a lit teacher, I'm a lit major, I can't say non-fiction. So, of course, it's fiction. I mean, it's part of my livelihood. Um, and it's just, I don't know, like, I think non-fiction has its purpose. But um, if I'm reading books for, like, leisure, for enjoyment, um, you know, for for... Uh, for some kind of, um, you know, trying to maybe make sense of my own world, I would prefer fiction over non-fiction any day. Um, yeah, but I mean, non-fiction it has its purposes. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. So what's your favourite book then? Um, keeping nice mm-hmm. and easy. Like what? Mm-hmm. Like? Within the fiction for world, all time, like all time, yeah, all time. You know, just then I ask the nice, simple questions on this podcast. Because <laughs> I don't want to slander nonfiction. I mean, it has its, its use. Um, no, no, you basically it's... said all nonfiction books are a waste of time, and all the authors <laughs> oh, can, should just retire. I didn't but... say that. I didn't say that. I read nonfiction as well, but like, um, yes, okay. So, favorite book I would say would be. Like, I think Jane Eyre, probably. I, did, I mean, I did my thesis on it, my final year paper on it. So I guess I guess that. Um, but I don't, I mean, I think you can't ask that to a lit major, George. I think it's a blasphemous question. <laughs> you know, yeah. I can't choose, right? But yeah, I mean, I think if it's a book that I can read, I can I can read any time like you know every year I can read that book and I guess it's Jane Eyre, but I mean there are books that I have for like every season, you know, yeah I mean there was a time where I was obsessed with Twilight, you know but I wouldn't say it's a, my favorite book but you know there was an obsession, um, a teenage obsession, but yeah, so what's your what's your choice? What, yeah I mean you know, as uh, as a guy who studied English lit. Uh, because I had to at secondary school. Um, it's you know it's got to be one of those more kind of classic, really influential cultural books. It's called um, Star Wars: uh, <laughs> The Heir to the Empire, um, the third the third book in the Throne trilogy, the original Throne trilogy, not the new one. Uh, and basically, yeah, I mean, its influence on uh, the literature world is just profound. I mean, it's it really was revolutionary. I mean, yeah, you talk mm-hmm. about your Jane Eyre, your Of Mice and Men, and all of that. But Timothy Zahn is the man that basically basically brought books into the world. But no, for real. I mean, it's quite interesting because within the Star Wars universe, I mean, these books came out in the nineties, I believe, and it was at a time where it was between the prequels and the originals, and Timothy Zahn's uh, books were basically kicked off. A kind of new wave of interest in Star Wars. Um, the legend, no, the the legends books. They kind of became a massive thing, and they expanded the the law and the universe massively. And then Disney came in and just said, "Screw that," and destroyed it all. But mm. it, they're really fun books to read because 
like the Clone Wars series, um, it gives you a chance to see these characters that are actually doing something, uh, to be honest. Because, let's be honest, in the movies, they don't really get up to that much in terms of action. I mean, Luke Skywalker, top guy, did a lot of good. But does he ever actually do anything well in the films? Yes, the sister. Yeah, true. <laughs> Sorry. That's all I know. That's the limit of my knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Other than that, I mean, he doesn't actually, you know, he doesn't stop Darth Vader, really. Um, he doesn't stop the Emperor. And then he comes back in the Disney films and he's just the most boring character in the world. So, but then in these books, you get to see him actually as. It's kind of a badass, you know, he's going around um, on actual missions, doing cool things. And it's that sort of thing for me. I've talked about this before, but that kind of world, um, world building, that sort of thing, is what I, I like most. And actually, the books are my favourite thing about Star Wars. So I'd have to say that, I would, to be honest. Um, you know, mm. Wuthering Heights is all right, but the third book in the Throne Trilogy. <laughs> what about you, Nathan? Are you a big book reader? Uh, no, I'll, I'll <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm I'm everything that I imagine lit majors hate. Where it's like I'll I'll watch a show or a film, then go and read the book of that afterwards. Um, so mine's probably uh, Dwandro's Dream of Electric Sheep, the the book that played oh, yeah, quality oh. quality book. I did that as well. I watched the film, then read the book. Yeah, um, I'll I'll level with you. I'm about three quarters of the way through it. Haven't finished it, but <laughs> it's it's so small. It's like a hundred pages. And yeah, small font though, isn't it? It's a small font. Yeah, small. It's that small font that gets you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it. Um, I'm, I'm, I think I'm quite similar to you when it comes to uh, books and stuff, just because it's like it's it's more about fleshing out a world and um, like getting lost in that rather than. So like just very, very like singular stories don't really appeal to me that much. I, I prefer to like imagine sort of what the rest of the world kind of looks like in there. So like Blade Runner's focused mainly in that one sort of city, but the book kind of fleshes out more of the lore and what happened to the rest of the world. So that, that's that's more what I look for. So okay, I'm, I'm not. Book I guy. see what you guys are saying. So you you're you're leaning towards more of the fantasy, the sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. it's less about the book and it's more about what the book brings. You know. I don't. Yeah. I'm. I must admit, I don't read for the joy of reading, uh, unless it's magazines. So, unless it's Meteor Mag, unless it's Meteor Magazine, <laughs> the uh, pinnacle the, of the only magazine to exist. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Chris? Uh, I. Oh, I'm. I'm. I'm going to struggle with this. I don't know. Why. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Uh, no. <laughs> it's not like you spoke up for a nap. Where have you been? All <laughs> YouTube been speaking up and like going, man, what is your favourite book? And I've literally been agonising over this for the last like five. Um, I've got oh, so I'd like to. Can I can I do shout outs of like what I'm currently reading and what like I, yeah. I've, I've enjoyed? Captain okay. Underpants. No, sure. Oh, um, kid. Can you not ruin this perfectly good literature thing? I want to sorry, please. sorry. Go on. Go ahead. Uh, I'm currently reading the Rivers of London series. That's sick. Um, the Dark Shade of Magic is the book that got me back into reading. That's very good. Um, I enjoy all of Terry Pratchett's Guards books. They're great. I've read them like countless times. Oh. Um, the book of my childhood was the School Degree Pleasant series. They're sick. They're better than Harry Potter, just saying, because it's Ooh. set in Ireland. Skeleton walking around throwing fire. That's way cooler. Um <laughs> uh, I think I think one of my one of my all time faves has to be um Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Thornton. <clears throat> it's a sick book. I love it so much. I read it in like two days, bear in mind it's about six hundred pages long and I'm not used to reading. Um because it's it's great because it like flits between so there's this guy who's trapped in this like almost um it's like groundhog day with murder that's the best way to describe it so this woman gets killed and he has to solve figure out who who killed yeah. her and he let free of the trap but he's got like seven different bodies to do it in 
over the course of the 24 hours or otherwise he forgets and then he has to do it again and it's really cool because he takes on the personality of these people and i got about three quarters of the way through the book and i realized i don't actually know anything about his character whatsoever because he just takes on all these personalities <laughs> so you don't actually know anything about him until about the final 10 pages of the book even though he's a really sick narrator so cool oh it's a good book i love it so much i don't want to say anything too much about it though because like so much of it depends on like you not knowing what's coming next because it's just surprise after surprise after surprise. So I don't, know, but I would recommend it. It's very good. I got the hardback of it as well. I was that excited. And I never read hardback. you are a man of taste. <laughs> How come you didn't say that about me? <laughs> I'm sorry. Because I. It's, have... on my, it's on my like I did a, a listicle on like um for for I mean. Yeah, I did an unnamed website. Yes, I did, <laughs> but I did not, as you noticed. <laughs> yeah, um, which is like ten, you know, best crime and thriller books of the decade, and like that's one of the books on it. Yeah, I really liked it. I enjoyed it. Yes. So I can't wait for him to do a new because it was his debut novel as well, which is insane. Yeah. Well, it well, seems that uh... this podcast has just been restored. I was about to say, it seems a nice place to end with Chris actually getting a compliment for one of his choices. So, um, we'll let him ride that high. And, You've uh, come a long way since Cuban Fury. He's like, you redeemed yourself. <laughs> yeah, it really is one of those Love classic. It. It's like Robert Downey Jr. comeback stories, really. Same level. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you all for joining me. I appreciate it. It's been a, it's been a ride. Uh, yeah. It's been good to talk about the magazine, which is now available on meteor-media.net. Um, forgot to plug that at the start, but now I've plugged it. And I'll catch you all next month for the, the next issue. Hopefully try and get some reader questions, uh, even more hopefully, try and get some Patreon questions. That would be uh, nice. And um, yeah, we'll see where we go from there. Thanks everyone for joining me, and see you on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.